episode 113, So Long 2020. In this last episode of the season, Dario and Neil both share five films that they've really loved from the past year in cinema. They also share a few honourable mentions and discuss some of their favourite film podcasts from the last 12 months. Throughout the episode, you'll hear clips from Queen and Slim, His House, Rocks, Increment Vice, and the 40-year-old version. This episode was delayed because Dario contracted a really nasty bout of COVID over the Christmas period, and I can't tell you how good it was to see him on the screen as we recorded this episode. I'm really glad to see you doing better, my friend. On with the show. Welcome to the Cinematologist Podcast. I'm Neil Fox. Joining me, I'm delighted to say, from his sick bed, is Dario Linares. Hello, Dario. I've managed to get out of my sick bed finally. For the cause. Uh, into the office after kind of cleaning and disinfecting everything. But yes, I'm here, still alive. Uh, reports of my death have been exaggerated, but no, no, let's <laughs> talk about the hyperball. But yeah. Um, well, it's really good to see you. Yeah, good to see you as well. Um, first of all, I guess we should say apologies that this is, you know, late by a good 10 days or so. Um, well, I don't think apology is the right word. No, Obviously, not, that would suggest not. that you weren't completely bedridden and, and waylaid, but uh, an acknowledgement. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, we did um, we did plan to tape on about the 27th and have, it, have this episode out before New Year's so people could kind of close off 2020, but that didn't happen because, yeah, I got... COVID, um, the I think it was around the 20, 20th, maybe, 21st. So it was the, the Saturday I got a text from the NHS test and trace app saying that you have been in contact with somebody who who has COVID, so you have to quarantine. So that was going to be ten, 10 days. And then I started getting the symptoms on the Sunday. And Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday were pretty much the, the, the classical symptoms. I didn't get the... the I didn't lose my sense of taste or anything like that, but really high fever, aches and pains all over, cough. And then for me, the, the worst thing was the headaches. The headaches were just nonstop relentless. I had one that was about maybe the, over those three days. And then I, I, I got one on Boxing Day. No, sorry, I got one on Christmas Day and it lasted till the day after Boxing Day without, just without stop at all. And it, it was really hard because... You can't, I couldn't watch anything. I couldn't read anything. I just li- was literally sitting in a darkened room and going to take a bath and putting my head under the water and, you know, just to try and relieve the pain a little bit. So, yeah, it's been tricky because I haven't been able to do, I remember when we, um, on our last episode, I talked a bit about having, you know, we'd got quite a lot done, hadn't we, in the last couple of weeks. And it was just like, oh, it's going to be nice to sort of sit down and reflect, you know, do a bit of reading, a bit of writing. And usually we've got quite a lot to talk about in terms of, new year and where the podcast is going but this is going to be a little bit of a fly by the seat of our pants episode I think isn't it yeah which I think given the state of everything is um it's fine isn't it I think that's the thing you know we 
when we were yeah. sort of talking about it. It's like what it felt okay to just say, you know, what it's going to be, what it's going to be, whenever it's going to it's going to be as a kind of marking of the the end of that season of the podcast. But certainly, yeah, not not scrambling to make it something that required too much labour, certainly from your part, you know. And I didn't. I, I like it when we just chat, and it's been good to catch up, you know, and uh, and kind of just chat about films again, which is. Yeah kind of what we're going to be doing today I guess. Yeah, absolutely and it, I'm I'm looking forward to to having this chat. We had a we had a discussion about how we were going to do it and I think this is as you say it's going to be informal. We're going to talk about a few films I think that perhaps instead of focusing on what are our definitive top films of the year, we're going to talk about films that maybe we hadn't talked about before. I mean there's certain films that we might sort of honorably mention and say, but we've talked about them before. A lot of the top films for me were at Berlin. So we'd spent a lot of time on those, and there was there was interesting stuff that I'd seen sort of through the the, the second half of the year, particularly again in the in the last month, maybe even that I'd, I'd gone through quite a big stage of catching up, hmm. and some really good stuff I'd seen to talk about. That was the thing that I, re- I really wanted to do um, on this episode, and also you know maybe when we get into the the second half, what we're going to do is go over to to a even more informal chat and finish off on for our patreon members so if anybody wants to join up and hear this the the, the second part of this this uh um end of year roundup then they'll be able to do that yeah i think it's going to be a sprightly a sprightly overview i've filed three pieces about end of year stuff elsewhere and i've tried yep. to try to hold back <laughs> um certainly sort of a couple of the films that i want to talk about today and i haven't talked about anywhere else and um yeah, just because none of those are kind of even definitive tens or threes. You know, it's just trying to trying to spend a bit of time considering some of the things that have gone on in the year, watching wise. And Berlin feels it's. We talked a lot about those films, obviously, when we saw them, but it also feels like a separate year in many ways. It does. Yeah, you know, it does. So, you're right. Um, and I've I sort of touched on those a couple of films elsewhere, so I'm not going to sort of catch that. I guess we'll start with. Just the films that you know aren't going to be under main discussion. So, are there any that you wanted to sort of let people know that were you know kind of highly regarded or interesting that that kind yeah. of didn't quite make that kind of main discussion? It, it's interesting because I think that they are mainly the films that that were at Berlin that I really really liked. I mean, we'll hear obviously what you thought about the end of year lists and and the films that seem to have come to fruition, but a lot of those. Those Berlin films, that first cow particularly, I think, never, re- rarely, sometimes, always, and the woman who ran, were were three films I think that were you know on at the top of our list at Berlin and have been in in the lists of a lot of people I think going back. So people have have, have not forgotten those films. They've been quite high up. I'm, I I still think for me, if I was going to put my neck out and say which is the 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 best film that I've seen this year or the one that I think is going to stand the test of time that is doing something cinematically that is is has the potential to become canon let's say i think is is um the portrait of a lady on fire i still think it's the best film i saw this mm. year yeah um absolutely wonderful i've seen it now like three times it's something that um i sort of um, used a couple of clips from in the film philosophy on aesthetics week that i was teaching i just think it's an amazing piece of work i i watched in light of that, I watched all of Celine Sciamma's, um, Sciamma's work, and and it seems to seems to me that all of her work was kind of building to this this masterpiece, and that's really nice. I think it's really interesting when you get a filmmaker who makes something early on that's so great, and then nothing else lives up to that. But this is a filmmaker I think that that has 
just sort of developed her style and her interests and her form. They all just seem to perfectly come together in, in what is a, an amazing movie. I think the, the one from Berlin that has been mentioned by a few people is is was the the one that was still my favourite, I think, from Berlin, which was Little Girl, which is this documentary about the trans girl who was in, in France. A really sympathetic documentary that it wherever you come from on that contentious issue in terms of how do you treat uh children who are presenting as trans or you know seem to embody that identity in 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 various ways it is a really sympathetic portrait of the difficulties and the of having that kinds of that kind of experience in terms of how does the family deal with it but also how does society and institutions deal with it it's it's really good and the other film i really kind of wanted to mention that i don't think has got enough love is queen and slim i just think it's really a really polished well put together um heist movie that's sexy and smoldering and really entertaining and i I think it just has hit at the wrong time when everybody was really bemoaning the fact that 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 cinemas were closing and I don't know, it just didn't seem to find a position or maybe it was just sort of dismissed slightly as being like a, you know, a, a black Bonnie and Clyde, which I, do, I just don't think gives it enough credit for for how interesting it is in terms of um, the racial element of it, but also just a great, really entertaining movie to watch. Let me give 40 on pub nine. Say a clock. Yeah. Can I hold it? No, you can't. I'll pay for your gas if you let me hold it. It's not a fair trade, like. If you let me hold it, man, you're gonna have to stick up another gas station. I'll kill you right now. You don't look like a killer to me. (sighs) What's it about? Holding a deadly weapon that just makes me feel so alive. Lady on Fire and, and Parasite were both UK releases this yeah, year. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> both of those seem, yeah, kind of career high marks. I think for for both of those, for both of those filmmakers, and yeah, uh, and it's been said a lot of times. But it, when I finally saw Parasite, I was like, okay, I get why people kind of went, you know. And I think I think a lot of the criticism is that you know that sort of latterly come because there's always that kind of backlash. Yeah, the backlash. Is is because you know that there was there seemed to be this idea that it was a social drama dressed up as a genre movie, which is not what it is. It's a genre movie that yeah you know that that is sort of, you know has these incredible kind of social drama layers. And he is a, for first and foremost a genre filmmaker uh, and a very interesting one when uh, a lot of the time. So yeah, that's and I haven't seen those others. Little Girl um, and Queen and Slim were on my kind of trying to catch up in December list, but uh, I ended up. 
Oh, yeah, I think you really love Queen. I think, in fact, I think you'll love both of them for obviously for mm. very for very different reasons. I just didn't get to it because I was just like I need to. I was quite I was quite yeah. ill, in it, particularly in the middle, and it just kind of knocked me for sick. So, yes, good yeah, yeah, yeah. good reminders that I've still got those to to see. Awesome. And you then, in terms of uh, films that maybe you need you you want to give the the shout out to? Uh, yeah, I think that two I just wanted to mention very briefly because we did talk about did talk about in the last was was Time and His House. Um, yeah, you know, I think I've. Time has really sort of stayed with me in in terms of maybe not necessarily what it's about, you know, because I think I've read a lot of, you know, so very grandiose, you know, but, you know, kind of read a lot of stuff about that subject. So as powerful and moving as the film is, but it's it's kind of the filmmaking that has stayed with me, like just how how it's put together, you know, how that blend of Garrett Bradley filming that story and telling that story with, 19 years worth of footage uh, and particularly the, the the coda of 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 the film which I won't give away but I just think it's an astonishing achievement in terms of how how you kind of tell tell that story which is both completely sort of personal like it is about this woman but also suggests so much about a complex system I think it's yeah. kind of remarkable and his house I think is just you know when when I was when I was doing the newsletter um yesterday and sort of thinking about over the year we've 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 kind of championed a lot of great british film and i think it's been a really good british film um you know kind of unfortunately not many of them got the cinema release they probably deserve but i think it's been a really interesting year yeah and that was a film that just kind of stands out as something which again one of those can't quite believe it it, it exists you know that this really tight horror movie set on an estate um about Sudanese refugees is just yeah really really exciting and the other one is is Todd Haynes's Dark Waters um which I haven't really talked about um mm. a filmmaker that I really like and it was a, it seemed like an odd choice for him and it's a film that I don't think is gonna yeah I don't think it's gonna ruffle many feathers I say as a pun because obviously Mark Ruffalo is in the lead um <laughs> but I found it a really smart movie yep. you know and it was a film that knew if you just lean into Ruffalo, who clearly obviously produced it as well and was clearly wanted to tell this story, it's like it's what Hades does really well is he knows actors really well. And I think it's a great performance with kind of really good supporting roles. And, you know, I'm a sucker for a guy in a basement working through files to see how corrupt yeah, something yeah, is. Yeah. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, um, it's a very old fashioned movie. Uh, looks beautiful. Um but yeah, just one of those films that I watched and thought this is just a really, really good movie. And it doesn't do any grandstanding, so it's not going to be discussed very much. But I think if you haven't seen it, it's... And what, it's Mark Ruffalo's not grandstanding? Give over. No, no. <laughs> no he's, he, he, I enjoyed it. I thought I enjoyed it a lot more. Yeah. I thought it was going to be not TV movie-ish, but do you know what I mean? Very sort of formulaically crusadery. Mm. You know, um, but yeah. it isn't. It's it, it is really interesting. And funnily enough, I, you know, one of the films I watched over over I've done a lot of rewatching over Christmas because I just couldn't face new stuff or reading subtitles. To be honest, I rewatched Erin Brockovich. Oh yeah, which obviously is an interesting sort of companion piece in that in absolutely in, yeah. in that sense. Um, but yeah, definitely worth your your time. A really solid piece of work, isn't it? I think. Yeah, it's, it is. You know, it, it just makes good movies. You know, um, and like you say, doesn't necessarily do the things that the genre is going to dictate. And I think that's the same for something like Carol as well. You know, like you're expecting it to do something mm. that it, it, it doesn't do. Um, but uh, well worth checking out. 
to um, new Patreons who've joined this month, John Connell, Theo Smith, and our friend Savina Petkova, who's been on the show, of course. Um, yeah, really nice of those guys to uh, to join up. The new newsletter has just gone out. Thanks to you for, for putting that together as I was uh, waylaid. But um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see maybe sort of doing some um, new stuff with the with the Patreon site. Um, I'm going to talk to you about that off off mic, cool. but the uh, yeah the the newsletter goes from strength to strength. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy that. Those of you who do subscribe and and again, just in terms of you know our aims going forward, there's definitely no change in our ethos of having any advertising or anything like that on the main show. We do want to put more Patreon stuff out, but. It's actually, it's just we had more intentions for that this year, but it's just not happened because because twenty twenty because of twenty twenty basically. <laughs> but I which think, is a great get out, isn't it? It it's is a, good a get out. out. You can just be like, just say twenty twenty, and yeah. people get know what you mean. But yeah, I think that's definitely something that that we do yeah. want to kind of look at uh, going forward. I, I look forward to hearing your ideas. And John sent us, and we sort of asked our, our our Patreons if they wanted to. Um, if they had any sort of questions or, or sort of comments for the for this episode, and I think John, you'll be pleased by one of the films I'm going to mention in my five. Cool. Well, Stop do you want to do you want to kick off then, Neil, and lead us through um, this this outline of of the films that we want to talk about? Yeah. So let's do a couple of those now, and then we'll talk about something else, and then we'll come back for the last three. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to go in reverse alphabetical order. Oh, okay. Fine. The first film that I'll be talking about, which I know you're a big fan of as well, is The Vast of Night. Woohoo! I love that film. It's kind of like the Dark Waters thing. It's just like a really good movie. Yep. It's really well made. It's really well written. It's got the right amount of ideas <laughs> for a genre movie. Um, it's got a kind of central premise, which kind of lends, lends really well to the aesthetic and kind of formal delivery of the film. And it just, it just, it's a good... It's a good watch, you know. It's kind of this, you know, the yep. kind of movies they say that you don't make anymore, um, you know. But it f- <laughs> and kind of unexpected. I mean, I don't know when you saw the the little, um, yeah, you know, the little picture, the po- God, the thumbnail is what I'm looking for. On it's pretty crap, the thumbnail, and it, it and it doesn't sort of lend itself to think, oh yeah, I'm definitely going to switch that on. But I was just totally blown blown away. And in fact, I'm gonna I'm writing a piece about it. You are, um, yeah. I am, yeah. I'm, I've I was asked to contribute to a um special edition on aesthetics but it the the focus of on it is ellipses in art and culture and somebody asked me to do the part on film ellipses and i just thought it was really interesting the use of sound when the picture is taken away and the sound takes over so i'm kind of going to write something on that idea of when images or when films take the image away, they fade to black or something happens where you don't see anything anymore and the sound takes over. And 
how that can be kind of constructed or understood aesthetically as an elliptical moment. Yeah, and I can't wait to read it. I think yeah, I think that that point about the 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 thumbnail is key because I I use this app called Just Watch, which kind of updates oh, yeah. every day with like the the films that have just landed on your services, and then kind of create a watch list. And I remember sort of seeing it, and it looked like a kind of cheesy Naff. Spielberg-esque yeah. kind of but the kind of thing that would go straight to to on demand and I didn't really know anything about it um and I kind of I just skipped skimmed over it and then later that and that, on that Sunday I think that um Mark Camo did a really did a feature review in the Observer about it and it was at that time when loads of the big films were pulled so he was and he did this pretty much every week in for the year was was gave time gave the main Observer review slot over to a small independent film or a smaller film you know so the uh the um the lead review was the vast of night and i just like wow this film looked completely and i probably would not have watched it you know Mm. without that um so it's a kind of notch to to criticism um and uh yeah thought this sounds sounds up my street and it was just yeah really really smart and it, it does recall kind of amblin spielberg you know, but it does, yeah. but not in a derivative sense. You know, I think that what's interesting what you're saying about the way it uses sound is it really feels like it understands how how sound is key to those those movies. You know, and and kind of conveying particularly alien communication, yeah. something like Close Encounters or uh, you know Poltergeist, which is obviously Spielberg produced. But it's also earlier than that, isn't it? Its references are, are the Twilight Zone, yeah, and um, very much you so, know yeah. Theater of the Unexpected and that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's a really, yeah, it's a really smart movie and just really enjoyable. And it's it's great because there's no one you know in it. It's a, it's a very indie, and I think we said this at the time, like there's it's a smart movie in terms of obviously low budget. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the way it uses locations and this small town um, to create this kind of, yeah, sort of sealed world, which mm. feels, is, is really, really smart. It's, it's, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's smart from a kind of content, but also production point of view. And I, I really, really love it. Yeah, and going in all in on the sort of American graffiti element of it, but from a very specific kind of perspective way where it's it's almost a sort of mystery, you know what I mean? There's a, and, and the way that the, the technology and the sound technologies are kind of prefaced or foregrounded, you know, it, aesthetically it's just so interesting. You know, all these old machines and buttons and, and, and what have you being pushed and, and what we're hearing and what we're not hearing and what's broadcast and what isn't and the radio element of it as well. It's just, it's, it, it really sort of, you know, it, it sort of twanged my, my interest in, in terms of the stuff that I've been interested in the last sort of year or two, you know, with doing podcasting and what have you. So yeah, definitely uh, uh, great that you've, you've mentioned that. I was sort of umming and ahhing about whether it was going to be. Cool. So yeah, I, uh, sort of maybe on the coattails of that, the, the film I want to talk about next is Possessor which is Brandon Cronenberg's psychological sci-fi horror. And I think just what you were saying there about um, The Vast of Night and and Possessor falls into this category of, I'm talking more this year about horror probably than I ever have done in a long, long time because I'm not a big jump scare or, or franchise horror fan. You know, I'd never kind of grow up with the Evil Dead and Nightmare on Elm Street kind of vibe you know what I mean people are obsessed with that stuff and that didn't really it never really was sort of formative for me and I always I always sort of preferred horror when it when it came into the main mainstream that's when I sort of got into like if it's sci-fi horror something like the Terminator which was pretty horrific and then like Silence of the Lambs or something like that and even when when 
sort of some movies had come up in the last two or three years, things like Get Out and It Follows and this kind of stuff, which I think are really interesting films. And I, I really struggled with The Babadook. I, mean, I know a lot of people like that movie, but I think this year, I think the films have become a bit more indie and a bit more weird and a bit even stranger than those those movies. And I found them really, really interesting. And this was a big surprise as well because I just thought it would be... I mean, it is... <laughs> it is sub Cronenberg, isn't it? Because it's his, but it's one of the things I kind of wondered. I wonder whether the director, why he did something that is so clearly influenced by his father. I mean, if it was me, I know me, I'd want to be doing something that that would be away from what my parents had done before. But I think it's it's interesting how what he does with the the tropes of sci-fi, things like the uploading of consciousness to a new body, is not new at all. Um, or neither is basing that around a kind of assassin's storyline. Um, but what I really liked is the kind of haptic sensuality of the film, the, the body shock elements, which were really effective on a physical level, even though I, never, I didn't see it at the cinema. I saw it on my big TV, and that was enough to to have the effect. I mean, yeah, the, the production design is really engrossing. It, it manages to give you that, alienated feeling of the modern world but the the tech aspects are a lot more organic and psychological i think and Orinus is really kind of baroque it's it's like you know it's not an out and out splatter fest but it's riffing on ideas of mind body dualism and you know it's really kind of brutal and violent in certain you know in in, in certain areas and and i like the way that it didn't try to be too obvious in the asking the questions about virtual reality or the digital realm. But there are definitely allusions towards a kind of hyper-realized corporate culture who are now monetizing consciousness. So it relates a little bit to the idea of, you know, all of our details are monetized today, but it's net in this future or in this parallel universe, you know, our very consciousnesses are, 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 are available to be, uh, to be coerced and to be, to be monetized, you know. And and Riseborough's great in it. And so is Sean Bean, actually. Sean Bean's really good in it. Um, but she has this sort of otherworldliness to it that that lends it, I think, a, a, a bit of credibility. You know, it could be a, it could have been a, just a sort of straightforward genre movie, I think, in, in other hands and maybe with another actor at the lead. And she's... How can I put this? She's not playing into the style. Her minimalism sells the outrageousness of the rest of the movie i think so yeah i really enjoyed it cool yeah it reminded me of sissy spacek and carrie you know that 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 that, that, yeah. that, that kind of that kind of performance um yeah i really enjoyed it as well i thought it was um yeah kind of good fun it reminded me a lot of upstream color um the shane yeah. caruth movie yeah more so in terms of like just the approach of yeah this kind of weird mix of a kind of very stark minimalist almost kind of you know near future uh and a very lo-fi a lo-fi set of circumstances you know it's a very but what i really liked about it which i think kind of does push it beyond what might we might have seen before is is the way you get a sense of what's going on internally because i think yeah. that the effects are really well deployed in terms of the the consciousness battle that's yeah. always seemed to be externalized a lot of the time you know um someone in the mirror you know, whereas you, the, the way it sort of goes inside, in goes, yeah, 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 goes yeah, yeah. inside that experience, I thought was was really really interesting. And I remember sort of I did read a couple of Brandon Cronenberg interviews, and that question came up a lot. 
you know, and he was just like, like a lot of musicians and a lot of filmmakers who end up making a few films where they're trying to step away. It's like, he's like, what am I going to do? I am the son of David Cronenberg, you know, and I think that, that, that what's passed down yeah, is yeah, a lot yeah, of interest yeah. and, you know, and I like that it felt like yeah. Canada, the way that Cronenberg's earliest films, you know, feel like Canada, you know, it feels like a very different kind of geography, um, which I thought was, was great. Yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that movie. So, um, and yeah, poor Sean Bean, man, like, he, he, you know, you know what's going to happen to him because it's Sean Bean in in anything, so you know how it how it ends. But he yeah. he he, uh, it's not yeah. a spoiler to say he ends up worse for it, and it's particularly gruesome what happens to him. Um, yeah, um, yeah, it's pretty or horrible. Yeah, good good pick there. Um, for my next one, I am going to stay with horror, um, which uh, will please John, uh, our new Patreon, because um, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about Saint Maud. Um, which was another British horror movie. You know, I sort of mentioned His House earlier. Um, and yeah, one of the few films I saw in the cinema this year, uh, in that bit where cinemas were open, I saw it here in, in Truro. Um, and uh, yeah, Mark Komoto presented a screening of it on Halloween. And yeah, I just, I just thought it was really fantastic a lot of the things we've been talking about in terms of how people are using traditional ideas with kind of probably less money, you know, and kind of making the use of locations and space and interiority. Um, but kind of, yeah, taking stuff that's very much in the consciousness of kind of horror law. Um, I saw a lot of the ninth configuration, the William Peter Blatty film feels very similar sure. a, um, in that. Um, and obviously the exorcist is the, the film that's been most closely sort of, compared to but there is much more going on and it, it feels like that kind of 70s almost like a 70s paranoid you know sort of psychological thriller like taxi driver you know right. where you're you're watching a character with a set of morals and a, a sort of a purpose that they they sort of feel has been put upon them and you're watching that play out you know that that kind of sense of someone being a sort of a prisoner to what they feel is a mission you know, um, and it's just really gripping. And what I found made it really gripping was the confidence that, that the filmmaker Rose Glass has, you know, to the pacing of it is so deliberate to what the filmmaker wants you to experience. So it, it's very slow. It's very purposeful. It looks amazing. And it kind of just builds and builds slowly to this completely strange uh, ending, um, which is just yeah kind of utterly horrific in, in 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 many ways not just kind of visually horrific but kind of emotionally yeah. horrific where the character does something which is well does two things which are just completely yeah sort of terrifying um uh, and another film where the sound design is extraordinary um i talked to the sound designer just after it for a masterclass paul davies who's worked with a lot of first-time filmmakers and you know He's Lynn Ramsey's sound designer and he's worked with Steve McQueen and Jan Damage. You know, he's he's as good as it gets. And the the sound design and score in this film and the way they work together is just exquisite. Um, yeah, just absolutely, absolutely love that movie. Great. I haven't seen it. So, um... yeah, it's not available to rent. It's one of those ones that came out of the cinema and it's, no, it's, it's, not. Uh, it's honoring the window. So I'm not sure when it'll land here. Yeah. It is. It is. And yeah, I mean, it was one of those, I think, that, that actually, had, for whatever reason, I, I was definitely going to go and then I didn't go to see it at the cinema. But um, yeah, one that I'm looking forward to because uh, definitely, I mean, you know, a lot of people have sort of talked about it being up there as as 
you know, one of the best films of the year. In a, what's really interesting, and maybe we'll talk about this about this a little later, is that ironically that some other films have been allowed to breathe because yeah. they have, you know, the Bond and some of the other stuff has not come out and and sucked ever, sucked up all the oxygen, which is yeah. you know interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll talk about rocks now. Okay. And because I think that we did our episode on it, and it was a film that that again was I think it was it was out the cinema, but then was you know you could stream it at the same time, and 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 it did it does sit in in this raft of British, you know, for want of a better word, whether people like the label or not, realist movies that have come out in the last year and i i think to me it is that it is the best of them in terms of that that sense of capturing a kind of a, a, a circumstance and a set of relationships in such a way that it makes the best use of that idea of here are non-professional actors who are have something to do with the characters that they're embodying and they're translating that to the to the screen and the way that it, that it occurs that is that you can see that it's been handled in a certain kind of way where yeah the the script is very important you know actually what happens and how the the progression of of the lead character and her her situation as a young you know young person who's mother who's been you know estranged or the mother has left ostensibly and she's sort of left to look after the young son and i did have that so, so much echoes with um capernium from the last year which is another movie but it's kind of like it is the british social realist version of that you know what i mean it's like somebody said okay we're gonna but I, you know i don't want to sort of do it down because of that but, but it sets it into that that situation of what it is like to be a young person and hit some be a young person in, in in the UK today in terms of how you transition from schooling into the the world and the not the dead endness of that but but the kind of precariousness of or what are the opportunities that that people have unless you are in the right school and you have the right parents and what happens the lead character has to go off and become almost like an entrepreneur and gets you know becomes part of the gig economy at sort of 14 however old she she is and i just think talking to i think you know again my, my bias or, or my um my love for the movie was increased by talking to the director it was one of the most um, so depth and informative and well considered set of answers about a movie that i've heard from a director who you know was answering the questions that i was that I was posing, but also kind of understood where I was trying to go with what I was saying. And I just think, yeah, there there is somebody who is very, very smart. And I hope Sarah Gavron gets to, to make more movies. Cool. Yeah, nothing really to add. Uh, I thought it was great. I think it was the <laughs> film, it was a film where I was surprised how much you liked it. Like, not in the sense of like, right. you don't have a broad taste, but you know, just, just sometimes when, you you hear I just I thought you'd like it and appreciate it, but you really loved this movie, which was great. But it felt like yeah, but it was interesting yeah. when you just said there about uh Capernaum and I was like, ah, oh, okay, I see where I see where it fits in your your filmmaking interest, you know, which yeah. was which was which is lovely. Yeah. So that that's all it that's all I've got to add really. Um Yeah. Well I mean it's the, like the coming of age thing and when 
the, the idea of sort of coming of age is in a specific kind of, of set of social circumstances. Yeah, That's yeah. what I find interesting. When coming of age is just, you know, <laughs> without without insulting anybody, it's just a kind of like a middle class whinge fest. Then I'm not really down for that yeah. as much. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Come on, man. Come on, man. Come on, Welcome to the future. And then I'm going to Rocks, can you do my eyebrows? Or like, or just do my makeup. Sorry, Agnes. I don't really have stuff for your colour because I never get white clients. So that's two of our five covered. Uh, so we'll come back and talk about our. Uh, the other three um they're not a top three they're just the other three um uh in a little bit but but one thing i thought might be interesting to do is just to to spend a very little bit of time really but but sort of mentioning uh some of our favorite film podcasts i think that you know we obviously we we work in podcast studies and we listen to a lot of podcasts um and obviously you know something like the cinematic voices is kind of is a, is, a, is an example of of, of, of how we perceive you know particularly how you perceived you know sort of film podcasting but i thought it might be nice to mention what, what other people are doing because i think it's it's a growing field in terms of the amount of content but it's also a growing field in, ter- in terms of diverse interesting content that, that, to talk about films so yeah just thought it'd be nice to take a little a little sidebar for that yeah um i think with with this I want. I just wanted to t- talk about some some podcasts that I think are doing interesting things, both kind of in the sonic sense, but also taking kind of criticism forward a little bit in terms of the, the what podcasting can do. I suppose the the big one for me this year has been Fun City Cinema, which is a, a new podcast. There's only sort of uh, there's there's episode there's main episodes and then sort of uh, supporting episodes they have around the main ones. So I think they've done sort of four main ones with some support as well and they're they're all great and 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 it's around new york and basically new the 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 sociology and politics and culture of new york and how film kind of aligns with that and it's not you know a podcast about new york films solely it's about how the 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 films of new york intersect with the socio-political considerations of certain eras and i really like it because it does mix up a lot of the different elements of you know audio cinematic sound as i've called it um in my recent writing you know so there's interview elements of it scripted elements there's clips there's there's audio design and music that, that that's added in and in using that using the sort of podcast the potential of podcasting what it can do it's the closest thing i think i've come to a, the approach of theorists like michael ryan and douglas kellner in terms of that intersection of of uh, 
of of film as a socio-political um, artifact, let, let's say. So it discusses kind of not causations but correlations reflected by the film. So film is a part of a, a, a cultural discourse where there is a, a dialectical relationship between cinema and the era in which they're situated. So I just find I find that a, a re- if I had you know if, if if we could kind of ditch the day job and do that kind of more, more full time sort of in that kind of direction in terms of depth of research to 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 have episodes you know we we're, we're able to do maybe one a year two a year like like that because of time constraints it's very difficult the other the other couple i, I wanted to mention is I, I definitely wanted to mention fatal attractions pod which is always just great fun on erotic thrillers um it's a, it's a podcast that has a clear focus and format it works on the level of both the interplay of four regular voices and on the level of analyses being a nice balance between fun and enjoyment and irreverence and a kind of serious look at, at these mo- movies. And it's it's great because you get, it means you get to kind of revisit many of the erotic thrillers from the, the 90s and the 80s. I mean, they've expanded what they're looking at now. Um, and it's, you know, it's co- co-hosted by Matthew Turner, Leslie Pitt, Amelie Thomas and Paul Costello. And what's really interesting because there's three 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 men and one woman, and I think Amelie's voice is so vital to the podcast in terms of she's kind of like the salt in the mix of these these male perspectives. She she often gives kind of diametrically opposed and, and almost surprises the male her male co-hosts and makes them have to rethink what they think, which is I, I always think interesting. So the episodes, the early episodes on basic basic instinct, fatal attraction are obvious starting points, but. My favourites, I liked the episode on Malice. The episode on Eyes Wide Shut is really great. And then recently To Die For, it was great to hear them talking about that. And finally, Lake Howard's, basically all of his productions, really. You know, I, I was on all the President's Men a couple of times. It came to the end, you know, it's as deep a deep dive on film as you can get. The last episode with Jane Alexander, who plays the bookkeeper, was really, really fascinating. He had a recent bonus, which spoke back to his... Um, his deep dive into heat with, with Tom Sizemore on it, which was great. And then the new, the new uh, podcast on Zodiac, Zodiac Chronicle, which is interesting to me because I'm not, it's not a film that I love, but hearing people talking about, about it in kind of ex- expands my appreciation a little bit. I'll probably have to rewatch the film again. So th- those are my podcast picks. Cool. Good shouts. Yeah. Fun city cinemas in mine as well. I think it's great. And it gave me the idea of, because it's tied to Jason Bailey, who who's one of the the, the, the co well, he's the, the the main host and the co producer. Um, he's he's written a book, hasn't he, on on sort of on on that that subject. Yeah. So this is a, a kind of and I, writing a book now and kind of thinking about podcasting alongside it. It really made me realise actually that there can be a, a podcast component sure. that that um, augments but does something else as well, something different to the book you know it's not just rehashing the book and saying buy the book it's it's taking that space and doing things you can't do in the book which i think is really really interesting i haven't read the book but i can't wait to um and yeah the, the my obvious choice for um a blake howard production was uh increment vice um yeah, obviously of course which i wrote a little bit about in the newsletter this month because you know, i finished it in december you know and kind of i didn't listen to any podcast for a long time in the in the, in the year really and then went back in and that so that is inherent vice. Paul Thomas Anderson's inherent vice. Uh, a scene at a time. It's forty-five episodes. Some of them are really long. So a couple are as long as the films, of two and a half hours. But yeah, it's a film that I love, and 
is endlessly interesting. Um, and but what was really kind of moving about it was was spending time thinking about while I was listening to it, why do I love this movie? You know, and hearing so many different perspectives on it, and really understanding, oh, actually, yeah, that <laughs> that my you know, I used to love Punch Drunk. I still love Punch Drunk Love, you know, but that was my that was my go-to Paul Thomas Anderson. But Inherent Vice seems to be right up there, if not taking over, and why it might have taken over. And it was like, oh, yeah, because I think that I, I see a lot of... I see a lot of myself in the way I've kind of changed how I think about the past and how I think about now and, you know, the life I had before. And the, in, there's so many parallels in that movie that, that really kind of resonated. And it's just, yeah smart people talking about the movie that I love, which was, and just, again, like all of those Blake Howard productions, but this one was, um, this was Travis Woods who kind of hosted and, and sort of ran that one, but but just yeah. the, the feat of stamina and the fact that you can get to the end of 45 episodes and it not feel as a listening experience to be tired, mm. I think is just, I find it incredible. Um, a couple of other mentions that I'll give um, for... There's uh, the Joe Dante and Josh Olson podcast, the movies that made me one of those podcasts I like to I like to dip in and out of. But they had an episode with John Sayles, which was just just fabulous. I mean, what a person to to talk. And it's it's a it it is a kind of the, loosely themed, you know, like I guess there's a great Alex Cox episode where he talks about sort of nuclear paranoia movies, um, you know, just kind of picking a group of sort of films and, and chatting. But but the ease with which Joe Dante and John Sayles can talk about movies for an hour and a half. It's just so pleasurable. Mm. And because they both came up through Roger Corman, sharing all these great stories about working under Corman and then working together, you know, because they knew each other sort of early on, was just just absolutely thrilling. Um, and a, a shout out for a podcast that I know you're, you're a fan of as well, which is the Projections podcast, Yeah, which is always fascinating and i am a bit behind sorry about that but um uh i am sort of catching up i'm sort of doing blocks i'm doing podcast blocks at the moment I'm kind of just spending time with one podcast just finished fun city cinema and projections will be next and but but i love the way they they take us they take a, an idea you know so horror you know sort of women and horror um which can be can seem like a really derivative and kind of you know lazy but the way that they they deal with it and, and the films that they look at and the way they talk about them i think is just absolutely wonderful great great chemistry and what i love this one of the things i really love about it is that they they listen to each other and they they're interested in each other as, as people you know and they, they kind of encourage each other's ideas and without being kind of sycophantic but just they get kind of excited by by the mm. other person which i think is great and there's a really superb episode on extremity um, with a, a horror critic called, um, I think it's um, Zoe. I can't remember her surname, but she goes under sort of Zobo with a shotgun, and they talk about they talk about the perception of women who like horror movies, which I think is a really interesting thing, and particularly women who like extreme horror and what that might, uh, you know, just unpacking that idea is just so effortlessly done. I really, really love that that podcast, um, and it's endlessly rewarding, and, and it does what what a lot of good podcasts do which you're saying about the zodiac one was whether you like the films or not they make you kind of think okay maybe there's something i've missed or i want to go back and check that out so yeah another good year in in film podcast land and uh check all those out as well as ours which you're already doing i choose to embrace hope i I choose to think that hope is actually a good thing that it, it, it is enough it is the that little thing that is enough um, it's the lighthouse in the middle of the maelstrom, if you will. And 
holding on to that is the only thing that will guide people forward uh, in a positive way that maybe things have never changed maybe things have never been different but also what's never changed and also has never been different is the creation of great art the creation of great moments of protest and creations of great moments of grace and if at the end the machine beats john henry john henry fought like a bear until he died and so there, there's this thing for me that that you know partly resignation that comes with age i just don't have as much fight in me as i used to have but with that recognition also comes a greater um appreciation for those little moments that with which we build our lives i i've I recently have gone back to a day job in the um, essential industries. I really didn't didn't necessarily have to, but you know, I wanted to. And essentially, you know, I'm I'm just kind of a training store manager sort of guy for for a sandwich chain out here, and it's really great because every day I get to interact with young people. Um, and and looking back on my career, you know, I, I haven't always been a, a, a windy and pretentious film critic. I, I, you know, I've had 25 years in corporate America and going back to corporate America after a couple of years off where writing for the first time in my career was supporting me for a couple of years. Um, going back into that environment a little bit, I, I realized I was drawn back because I missed those interactions with young people where I could say, you know, I hired this person when they were 18 years old and just out of college or ju just graduating high school rather, didn't know what they wanted to do. Now they have a master's degree and they're opening their own business. And and I've moderated their their wedding, you know, and and that for me, looking back, the titles never meant anything, the money never meant anything, you know, meeting celebrities or whatever really didn't mean that much either. At the end of the day, the only thing that I've held close to my heart are my family and these people that I've been able to have a meaningful interaction with along the course of their life. I've been privileged enough to spend that time with them. Um, that was meaningful for them and for me as well. And so. Age, yes. And I think at a certain point in her advice with P.T. Anderson at this age and him talking in this way, with given his life experiences in the water and his bridge, was is extremely touching to me. You know, you do all the struggle, you do all the searching, and you find out at a certain point in your life that there's nothing to find. Um, having all these letters after my name meant nothing to me. It made me miserable, more miserable than I've ever been in my life. I was making more money in my life and had more respect, quote unquote, and I did everything that I thought I was supposed to have done in my life. And it means nothing. And the only thing that's ever meant anything are the friends I've made along the way and the moments of kindness that I've been able to receive and give um, that are perhaps unremembered uh, by me or by them, but are meaningful nonetheless. And the sort of accumulation of all of that does mean something. Uh, it's easy to think that it doesn't because you look at the world and it's a fucking mess. But you know what? It's always been. Awesome. Great. Yeah, I mean, we'll get some of those guys on on our pod as well. That's our plan or one of our plans for yeah. uh, the upcoming year. It's always nice to talk about, you know, actual podcasting about film and what that is, you know what I mean? I always find that just a, a fascinating thing yeah, to get those guys on for sure. So uh, what's next in our list then, Neil? What do you want to talk about next? Shall I go again? Okay, sure. So next up for me is Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things. This is a mic film, isn't it? This one. Isn't it just? Isn't it just? <laughs> um, but, and I can see why. I've rewatched it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can absolutely... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then... Synecdoche, New York is is similar. I think Anna Melissa is. I think as a director, he's much yeah. more divisive, you know, um, and certainly much, probably much more auteurist than he was even as a screenwriter. I think he's there's there's so many recurring 
ideas and approaches and things that he's interested in which are kind of or obsesses about which kind of keep keep turning up um i think it's it's well known my absolute sort of love for charlie kaufman um but this this film really took me by surprise um mainly i think because of how cinematic it is and rewatching it again i was really really struck by the the filmmaking which and he's kind of seen as a, a kind of screenwriting genius um sure but i think there's a filmmaking flair and approach here which i think was was really surprising um and i just i just i just love this movie and i watched it again and i, I didn't watch it for ages because i was like oh I, Maybe it doesn't hold up, you know, because you do. You kind of you see people going, "This movie sucks," um, yeah, and you're yeah, like, yeah. "Oh, maybe I'm just sort of being blind to it." Um, and then I rewatched it again, sort of just just before filing for the end of year stuff and for thinking about this episode, and just absolutely, absolutely blown away by it again. I think it's extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, I really, really liked it. It's funny because we 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 sat down to watch it, and it was one of those where. You know what it's like. It's not quick. You know what I mean. And it's these long yeah. scenes, and there's a lot of abstract dialogue, and and you know um, surrealists uh, pretensions, let's say, and 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 you know very tenuous abstract connections between scenes and what char- characters are doing and saying. Um, but it's funny. I think I, we were sort of forty five minutes to an hour in, and it's quite long as well. And I sort of yeah, you know n- neither of us had said anything, and, and I was like, I, and I turned to B and I said. Um, are you all right? Are you bored? And she said, no, I'm not bored. And I said, no, I'm not bored either. You know what I mean? But it was like we were just checking because it was like, you know, it was like one of those movies where if you're not letting it wash over you, or, you know, it, 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 it's not you're not going with it at all, then, yeah, you, you know, it, I can see why it doesn't it doesn't work for people. And I have to say, it's like, you know, the, the, the ending did great a little bit to me. You know what I mean? The musical ending. Um, but... I think up up to that point, I was, you know, well on board, mm. and I think Jesse Buckley, who I'd never really seen in anything else, was you know outstanding, outstanding, yeah. and the parents are both great too. Obviously, you know the yeah Fulis and um, who plays the the, the Tony yeah Collette. Tony Collette yeah, yeah yeah awesome yeah I think I think it's it really makes you work hard like the sound is like so much of the sound you can't is you purposely can't hear what people are saying <laughs> you know um and the, the the stuff in the car where it's like stark four by you know it's like a four three yep. it's dark it's snowing you can barely see people behind the screen you can hardly hear the audio it's really really making you work for to, to stay on board yep. you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and then there's obviously the, the the ending which kind of confused people and he sort of said that he sort of gave his take on it which was slightly different to my take and rewatching it again I still stand by my reading of it in terms of you know th- there's the official version which is that it's all made up you know it's all it's all it's all, a it's construct, all imagined yeah, yeah. by it's all a construct by by the janitor um but that that doesn't work with Jesse Buckley's performance you know who's obviously a real person who's had a tiny a tiny moment in this janitor's life, you know, which is obviously a kind of a meeting or, or maybe a bit more, you know, maybe a drink or whatever, but it's unclear, but they have, she is a real person that has her own agency. And in his reconstruction of this life that he hasn't lived, you know, that is, it. she's got agency and she fights against it. She knows that she's not 
this is not right, that she doesn't belong in this space, that, that she has a space elsewhere. And her performance is extraordinary. She's always in control of of her own faculties, even when she's sort of being used as a puppet, literally. You know, that, that she's always aware that, that, that this is not where I belong, which kind of, on the second watch, kind of drives the story of, like, her trying to figure out. And then when she realises, she kind of steps away right at the end and allows the janitor to kind of have this final hurrah which yeah. is so sad when you realise like what 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 his life must be like. Um, the other thing I'll say about it before the end, which what I, on a rewatch was how it's a film about, and it's probably because I'm reading a lot of Mark Fisher and sort of reading about sort of the eighties in Britain, but the idea of a kind of a working class intelligentsia, you know, yeah, like yeah. that. There's this idea which has kind of disappeared from British culture that that people who work manual labour or have you know hourly paydles that they that they that they're not intellectual that they don't oh they're they're even interested exactly you know but this is a man who has lived a very lonely existence but clearly has read and engaged with science film art culture philosophy you know and has the the tragedy has had to carry that with him without any kind of partner or anything you know but 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 he's a smart well-read educated person you know in a way that you don't really see from someone who works as a janitor and was raised on a small farm or small holding you know Mm. i think that really struck me as as a really interesting character which is why i think towards the end there's there's so much sort of emotion in it for me it's just the the tragedy of it um yeah so cool no, I know you like that one. That, I do, that's for sure. I but it's, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting where it it, it it's that that's the kind of film where, and I've said this to you before, where if if that's if you go into a cinema and you see people walking out of that that film, for example, you'd be like, yeah, bye bye. You don't. You, I'm not interested in in. I wouldn't be interested in having a conversation with you about cinema if you if you just walked out of that movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's like it's. Somebody who stays and say, "Yeah, maybe it's not great, or maybe it's flawed, but I'm interested in what's going on. I want to talk to you about movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's interesting that, and it's um, so beautifully constructed on that level that yeah. you, that there's, yeah, it, you should be in it at the end, even if it doesn't work ultimately. Mm. Yeah. yeah. What about you? Okay, I will continue with um, Baby Teeth, which is um, Shannon Murphy's Australian coming of age slash coping with illness drama um starring a very well i mean the whole cast is great really but starring eliza scanlon as mia miller miller mia i'm always doing the spanish pronunciation miller um and toby wallace as as moses who is this boy from the wrong side of the tracks a kind of drug addict who's been thrown out by his mother and she she's the the terminally ill teenager and then essie davis and ben mendelson who's just awesome uh, miller's parents and they're struggling to cope with her, her illness but also their own relationship and their own illnesses in 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 many ways and it's really beautifully written beautifully pitched in terms of comedy and pathos um and what i liked is that it doesn't fall into the platitudes about strength and battling bravely and and it's not neatly tied up in in that way there's a messiness to it which i think is really is really great and that and that messiness is not just the story but in terms of the characters being none of them you know the the the, the teenage teenager herself is not a saint and obviously um moses himself is he's very problematic because he doesn't live up to the responsibilities that she kind of imposes on him in many ways. And then the parents, again, they're really, 
they're really sort of problematic and dealing with their own addictions and having to come to terms with how they're protecting their daughter, but also kind of letting her loose really to kind of experience something, you know, in, in a way that doesn't just, that doesn't lead her to kind of just go off the deep end into nihilism, but, but also kind of, you know, let's say experience life a little bit as it were. Um, and she, you know she's great in it. I think you know enforcing the actions of the characters. She's have to rebellion against the the protective instincts, as I say, of the parents. But she kind of becomes more daring and uninhibited as the film grow, grows goes on. And there's this sort of great party sequence where she becomes jealous and sort of begins to spiral. Um, yeah, and I just think it's it's got a kind of it's not as wacky as something like The Castle, but it does have echoes of sort of Rob Stitch. I think. But this is more about the a very sort of successful middle class family whose sort of sense of their of their own um, status kind of crumbles, I think, in the face of this familial trauma. And and I think it just it, it does do that that thing that great dramas do, you know, for, for to be cliched. It sort of it makes you laugh and it makes you cry, but it doesn't do it in sort of patented manipulative ways i think it's it, again another film i think that perhaps you know maybe it's not because it, it, it's been overlooked because i think a lot of people have have talked about it but again i think i think if this was an american movie i think it would be awards bait like you wouldn't believe you know you put you know you put somebody really well known in that lead role a young a- actor who's really well known and put it in American suburbia and, and made it the same tone, it would be awards all over the shop. Cool. Not seeing it. Um, no, got to it's see just dropped it. yeah. on Netflix, actually. Yeah. So yeah, I yeah. shall be catching that um, soon. Yeah, and it's 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 a film that's, that's popped up in the last couple of weeks in terms of people's favourites, you know, and, and so it's, it's nice to see that it, it has it has a, a good critical fan base. Um, and it was one of those ones it was on at the cinema just before... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cinema's closed again, I think, down here, so I missed it. Uh, or maybe it was when I was away. But yeah, it was definitely around, but I, I couldn't see it. So looking forward looking forward to that. Good good call. Um, right. So speaking of Netflix, my next one is a film that landed on... My last one was a Netflix movie as well. Um, but the next one I want to talk about is Rada Blank's The 40-Year-Old yes. Version. Just watched this the other day. What did you think of it? Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. I fucking loved it. <laughs> yes. I fucking loved it. Oh, and it was like, great. I know, I, I kind of, when I saw that you were, that you'd said you'd seen it, I thought, Neil's going to, Neil's going to talk about that. But anyway, you go, you go. No, I'm just so pleased that you liked it. I mean, yeah, it just, I just thought it was fantastic. I thought it was really funny. Um, I kind of got in trouble. I watched it late at night. It was one of those ones, it was in my catch up. <laughs> And I was, I was watching. You were just laughing too. Yeah, I was watching it in bed, and, and Beth just was like, "What are you laughing at?" I'm like, "This, this is really funny." In that like, genuinely funny, but also in a awkward yeah. kind of cringeworthy. It's, it's a great New York movie. You know, I sort of, yeah. I, I think it, it, it fits. It was interesting listening to the No Wave Women podcast on the Fun City yeah. Cinema and thinking about, yeah, kind of Susan Seidelman um, and uh, Lizzie Borden Absolutely. and stuff. And I just thought, yeah, this is, this is. The legacy of that but it's also the legacy of john sales his brother from another planet and jim jarmusch and spike lee you know it's just it's a really kind of classic new york indie movie about yeah about just kind of being a contemporary artist in a neoliberal economy but also being someone aging and thinking about you know trying to retain and, and remain creative in the face of 
constant rejection and sort of disinterest um and yeah the the there's a there's a really kind of lovely amateurishness to a lot of the art that surrounds this woman she's sort of a teacher and the she's sort of doing this after school theater club and the 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 play is so bad but there's talented kids in there and they're they're nice kids like every everything it did i thought worked really well and made me smile and and made me think you know i just thought just i absolutely loved it and so it's about a woman who kind of is a playwright and she's she slowly moves into kind of hip-hop essentially sort of um taking out the monologues that she kind of records to as almost like a cathartic therapy to herself into in, into the real world and she treks from manhattan all the way out to the, the the darkest reaches of brooklyn to record with this enigmatic young beat maker who's just amazing um you know yeah 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 he's he's great as well he's just, just, chemistry, so just like that. yeah like the yeah, casting's yeah, yeah. great the way their story yeah. evolves i'm like yeah it just it was effortless i just i absolutely loved it um and yeah just made me made me so happy that it existed and the the ending i thought was well earned you know in terms of what her realization about herself and you know again just the casting of everybody in the movie is just so so well done because because it could it could yeah it could te- it sort of teeters and you think is this going to go really kind of um sort of over the top sanctimonious but it doesn't it kind of retains its its and i think that's why it feels yeah. so rooted in that in that lineage of filmmakers who just kind of know know how to play it yeah yeah i mean i i have to say that when i I watched this in a particular circumstance and it merely made me think and it was that i just switched off mank after 45 minutes or so because i was just so stone cold bored (laughs) and not just bored just like all right, I I get it, I get it. You know what I mean? And it was so interesting to me that I'd switched this movie on, maybe you know a few hours later. I've got to watch something else, but it was black and white, and you know, so there was a yeah. sort of parallel there, an unintended parallel there. It was just like, ah, uh, this is what I get it now. When people are like, you know, when when we hear this phrase "smash the cannon," it's like, why are we going on and on and on forever about Citizen Kane? <laughs> when there is something really interesting that is actually about this art that never gets a lens or gets ridiculed or, you know, or, or the idea of the teacher who's struggling to make it as an artist or, you know, the figure of, of the older black woman and, you know, let's face it, the bigger black woman as an artist. All these things are in play and sort of being talked about and relationships and all this kind of stuff. And I just, yeah, it was like the the, the best of... of what Netflix could be in terms of offering up potential for work to be made and the worst yeah. at the same time. You know what I mean? And it's not to say that we don't, we shouldn't kind of still be interested in the, you know, the classics kind of stuff, but it was like, oh, this is so refreshing. It's so, so much good fun yeah. to watch. And yeah, I mean, again, you know, as not a, somebody who knows anything about hip hop or rap music, really, I, just, I was just... Yeah, it was it was it was great, great fun. Yeah, I see an interesting parallel there. I think you know because they both are stories of these artists who are kind of at the last, yeah. at the last chance. This and they sort of see the, but the way she and it, she's very aware of, you know, how she's kind of squandered her potential and kind of coasted and is kind of clawing herself back and the little flourishes of color. There's sort of these little color inserts which just kind of pop up. Sure. Everything about it is is, is great. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
cool uh, and i'm glad you <laughs> glad you we're on the same page for mank as well as uh um, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah as well as that cool all right your turn okay um next uh i'm gonna rip through this is uh, um is she dies tomorrow which is Amy Simitz, um psychological thriller mood piece, abstract, impressionistic, kind of you know very high concept, or, or you know it's it's very sort of stripped back in terms of what it's doing. But yeah, it's starring a really interesting actor, Caitlin Scheel, who appears in in many films where she's having a psychological crisis. She's got one of these faces that projects kind of. What's happening? I don't know what's going on around me, and I don't know what's going on inside me either. It's it's really weird, but she's playing Amy, who suddenly has this intense feeling, you know, that she's going to die, and it's kind of like the articulation of that. And this psychological nihilism, you know, <laughs> interestingly, considering the context, becomes contagious, and she infects these friends and family who who at the start just think she's kind of being this you know, drama queen, let, let, let's say, you know. Um, but it makes kind of every, the other ca- characters kind of confront this idea of talking about death. And that kind of makes you as an audience member confront that idea of talking, uh, to- uh, thinking about your own mortality. And it, again, it's one of these that, that, it's a very darkly lit film, but then it has these sort of transitional surrealist montage sequences where it suggests the, the passing of this dread from one character to another. And it's a really interesting use of kind of like the digital, the idea of sort of digitality, I think. Um, and with its sort of explosions of colour and light and dark crashing in, into each other and the sort of cacophony of the sound mix. And again, it's just another sort of quote-unquote horror movie that made me have a sort of really intense sort of physical feelings and and that, that, that sort of really... Um, you know, material kind of experience that you get, and and I had it at home again with the with the big TV. But I think, like Possessor, I think it's a couple of films that I really, if if I get the chance to see them on the big screen again, I, I would uh, I will watch them. But yeah, if you're into the, the that, that sort of understated, intense, moody, psychological stuff, it's it's really worth a watch. I think. Yeah, love that movie. But I think as well, like just to sort of extend from what you're saying there about she does, you know, she does more on Possessor as in the home experiences, they they feel particularly invasive because yeah, of the, yeah. the psychological interiority in play. Like, and particularly in something, particularly in She Dies Tomorrow, where you feel this contagion. Yeah. And you're, I was on my sofa yeah. in the dark, and <laughs> you do. You have this kind of anxiety. Yeah. That that kind of emanates from the screen because of because of the way it's done. I love Amy Simons. I think she's a great a great filmmaker and. She she done a lot of the girlfriend experience and Atlanta yeah. two two of the shows that I think are are cinematic television I think that you know that they mm-hmm. are very very tone atmosphere subtext driven works that just kind of are just kind of on a different level so yeah, yeah I'm yeah, a yeah. big fan and it reminded me of Antonioni like <laughs> in terms of an American filmmaker because like you say that there are these middle class people walking around philosophizing about death you know and 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 it catches and the, but then they're, they're not they're not connected like what's great is they're all kind of related or friends yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. they have relationships but there's no connectivity the only thing that connects them is this this kind of growing anxiety yeah. um and that and particularly that you say that kind of the way it shifts from the interior space to the exterior space is really that you know no one would make that connection because she's 
she's a kind of yeah modern you know, sort of, you know American indie filmmaker but that was the most striking comparison I made I'm, I'm glad you put that on your list because I'm a big fan of that as well awesome so we've got one more to go what we've we done now just over oh, yeah. now so that's good I, 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 am I right in saying we've got the same movie to finish off with I don't know okay well I'm going to finish on Small Axe Lover's Rock uh, okay yeah um, we've got different movies then Cool. Okay, okay you go for it then, because well, well, I'm surprised that I, that this is on my list rather than yours. I'm I, I'm uh, shocked. Well, I'll tell you why say, when but... you've done your bit. Okay, cool. So obviously, when, when these were coming out in a series, and you know, we can have a we can have a conversation about which a really redundant conversation about is this TV or film? But because this is a series, and the first one came out and was just lauded, and is a particularly um, specific kind of historical dramatization i think um mangrove um it's really interesting the order in which the small axe films have come out i think and it's like that you know when you put something out what's the follow-up going to be and i think it was really clever to put lovers rock out second as a sort of counterpoint because it it isn't a film that has the you know the the, the kind of narrative hit points that that mangrove needs needs to have being a sort of you know it starts as as the relationship between the 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 restaurant and the the local police and then goes into a courtroom drama essentially in the second half um and i think you know with lovers rock again it it does sort of it is the one that well i think they all do this to a certain extent but this film i did do think says it is the answer to that question of is this TV or is it film? It's neither in a way, or it's it's something else, or it's cin- cinematically t- television. But it all takes place in one night of this unlicensed blues party, and it's a bold play to create a specific sense of experience. I think, in terms of not just showing you a party that people are having, but inviting you into the experience so you get these friendships between the the women and the men and rivalries again sexual encounters wanted and unwanted fashion music all of this kind of amalgamating into a cacophony of 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 sound and and speech and experience and and it just, just reverberates and i'd love the way it's shot and edited because it gives all of that time to breathe. And it's still only just over an hour long. And it feels like you've gone through the entirety of a sort of, you know, early evening to the following morning in terms of a party night. And it, it, the, the mood kind of ebbs and flows to the different beats of the, of the music. The different spaces almost seem to have different kind of weights. You know, so when you go into a nightclub and it's, you know, it's the music banging really hard and then you go into the chill out room or, and there's almost a sort of different weight in, in in the different rooms of this film. So yeah, with the, with the shooting and editing, you never feel an abruptness. There's the sense of flow between the different spaces and also the different kind of um, moods that the characters are in, in terms of being excited or down or being into the music. Um, yeah. And I just think it's, it, it it's, uh, I mean, and it's funny we've talked about this with, with the horror movies and you can you can get that connection I think a lot more I mean it's a lot more obvious to be able to say that, that a horror movie has a physical experience on me in terms of being scared or whatever but this was a, a you know I was on sort of leaning forward on my chair to watch it because I wanted to be part of this experience it was just yeah absolutely 
riveting for the short time that it was on. And, and you know, I'd, you'll be able to talk about the music a lot, a lot better than I will. And, you know, just... I, I just think it is the standout of, of what is an amazing series of films that are addressing and are doing something that I think is has is is completely new in terms of the way to approach these these stories. Yeah, the reason I didn't put it in the five was because I, I saw your list um, and also I've, I've, when I wrote my sort of moment of the year for The Quietus, I wrote about those two dance sequences in Lover's Rock. Right. Um, uh, I think sure, this is sure. the best thing I've seen all year. Um, you know, like, and I think it's, I, just, I think it's an absolute masterpiece. And I think mm. everything you're saying there, I completely agree with in terms of what it's doing. It's, it's rare that you say that you genuinely have never seen anything like it before, and can back that up on pretty much every level. You know, like content-wise, yes, obviously that you know, it was rightly lauded as a series which addressed kind of historic on-screen underrepresentation but the choices he makes across that series of how to tell those stories and and, and with with his co-writers i think is is amazing which is yeah it is it is something else like they are clearly films but the television aspect is important because it's you know as as he sort of said that you know it it reminds of a tradition where these these kinds of things were more common you know i re- i rewatched the prisoner in december you know and thinking about yeah, kind of play for today's been in the news a lot, you know, like that, that for and Alan Clark, you know, you know, like sure, sure, that it was a space where you could make films that that were cinematic and 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 formally daring, but even within that, Lovers Rock is formally daring, you know, like it's it's so imbued with a kind of a textural quality which is just above and beyond anything else I've seen, you know, I just it's it's just exquisite and. Yeah, I mean, uh, the those two musical sequences, particularly Janet K. Silly Games and then the, the the Revolutionaries Kunta dub, are. I just I've never yeah. I've never seen that. You know, you've, you I don't think you, you know I think this is well written about as well. Like the black bodies in space, lost in music, completely safe. You know, completely detached from the context of being black in Britain in the seventies or wherever. You know, like just free within the music to be. And you just and he just you just let we just watch them be, you know the, the acapella Janet Kay um, sing along and then the kind of the rewind, the you know the reliving of the moment in with the with the dub, it's just it's exhilarating. Yeah. It was exhilarating. It was absolutely like this is amazing. And again, just yeah, cast location, everything about it is is spectacular. Um, and it, I think every year there's the the chance that you say at this time when you're kind of recalling it, that certain things are going to stand the test of time, you know? Um, and a lot of the film, I mean, I think, you know, the films we talked about are really, really good movies and we'll remember them fondly, but, but what are the ones that are going to, you know, and I, I see lovers rockers being something which is endlessly poured over and endlessly celebrated because it's so, so yeah. special and so unique. Um, yeah. Just what mm. a, what a piece of work. The whole thing, but but like you say, in, in the middle of it, it's this thing that is utterly unique, yeah, even yeah. even in that context. Without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like one of those things where you take you take that off. It's it would be something in the cinema. It's something at home on TV because it's in that context of being on the BBC, which is a statement in and of itself that was made. 
exactly. know, if you watched it at the yeah. cinema, you get that that visceral thing. But if you you know, if you put that in a jazz club up, up on a screen and and bo- boosted the 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 sound and stuff, it would have a, a or an art gallery. It could be in so many different places because it's just that's what I mean. It's kind of cinematic, but escapes kind of conformity in terms yeah. of where, where it would be placed. You know, it's like the complete opposite of something like I don't know. Something like Gravity, you know, the film Gravity. It's like, I only want to see that in a cinema in yeah. 3D. I don't want yeah, to yeah. know about anything else. That's that's all that film is for, you know? Exactly, you know? yeah. But that's that's the thing, isn't it? That's that's McQueen as an artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you say, kind of understanding all of those all of those contexts of space that, 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 that it might work in. And, you know, Ashley Clark sort of mentioned this in, yeah, in, yeah, yeah, in an yeah. interview, you know, just that, yes, it's a crime that these stories have not been told before, but... Also, McQueen is just at the right, just at the right yeah. time of his. You know, he's been an amazing artist for so long, and he's been an amazing filmmaker for 10, 15 years, whatever. And this is the culmination of all of that in a body of work, which probably wouldn't have been possible before, and certainly not to the to the kind of to, with the result of that of that amount of quality across five five pieces of work. Yeah, yeah Ashley Clark's very good on Twitter and in his writing on mm. uh, on on this series, or he has been. Yeah, um, absolutely cool. So we've got one more to go. We What's do the final one Which, for you, Neil. So this is Spike Lee and David Burns' American Utopia. Ah, so you'll have to you'll have to take this one, Neil, because it's another one I haven't seen. We don't have to spend too much time on it, other than to say it is utterly joyous. Like it is, I watched it. Um, yeah, I was quite poorly, so I took I took time off work um, just before right right at the end of term. Just um, well, I think term was over, but I just absolutely just yeah. kind of hit the wall mm. and sort of laid down on the the sofa in the front room and put it on. Um, just from the first moment, I was like, I mean, it is, yeah, it's just it's so so good. Like it's the music obviously is amazing. Um, it's it's just a wonderful wonderful two hours you know amazing amazing musicians amazing stagecraft beautifully filmed it's it's a really interesting concert film where I think I haven't really kind of formulated my thoughts on this because obviously I'll be writing about this but it's hard to make a concert film that doesn't make you think of Stop Making Sense you know like the Talking Heads yeah. the famous kind of Jonathan Demme so how do you make a concert film with David Byrne who obviously was the star of Stop Making Sense and Talking Heads. And Spike Lee is a beautiful choice for it because he's filmed a lot of live performance, so he's kind of he knows the nuts and bolts. It's a film that in kind of subtle ways is in aware of and kind of nods to Stop Making Sense and sort of says, Yeah, I'm not gonna do that, but you can't you can't pretend it doesn't exist because it's so it's so influential and so good. And it's just the things that Spike brings to it in terms of the the, the way he shoots it um, is he just makes all the right choices. So it just feels like this extraordinary document, you know, in a way that sometimes when you watch a concert film, it's like everyone in there is having a better time than me. And it almost feels <laughs> kind of cynical, like you weren't there, yeah, 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 you yeah. missed this thing, uh, you know, whereas the best concert films, and that's why I stopped making sense of good, is because it's, it's, it knows it's going to be for a cinema audience. So ha- what... And... Everything that's been said about it in terms of the way he um, kind of brought in the families of victims of police uh, brutality and violence and murder um, for when David Byrne covers the Janelle Monet song is just brilliant. You know, like it's just Spike Lee doesn't get in the way of anything. He just he just knows exactly how to do it. And 
I don't know if it's because I was really ill, but I essentially just cried for like two hours. It's kind of goosebump inducing music and it's so lovely and positive and just damn good. Like it's just damn good. Um, I think it's a perfect way to end the year and to kind of set yourself off because it's thoughtful, but not didactic. And the music's amazing. And it's just, just exhilarating fun. I absolutely loved it. Um, Great. I'll have to. Go, I'll have to go back to the um, the original documentary you were talking about. Maybe watch that first and then come to. Because I've. I, I just. I have no memory of it. I haven't seen it in yeah. so many years. You know. Again. You know, it's, it's not my bag. Like you. In the way it is yours. So. Yeah. I, I don't have that sort of frame of reference really, and not. You know. In even the music, I, I wouldn't know any. Of the They're music, both so. just great. Yeah. I mean, stop making sense. Is the. It's you know. It's a. The ultimate performance film, really. It kind of it ignores the audience in the venue pretty much for the entirety. So you get this really cinematic construction of live performance, and the way the set the set unfolds feeds directly into that. It's so seamlessly done. That's the thing. It's like I think for both films, what, what is remarkable, which is what I really love, is when you feel like the next thing you see is the only thing you could see. Like the choices of editing and the choices of how, it's just so beautifully constructed. It's like, that's what I want to see then. That's what I want to see then. It feels like you're almost kind of intuiting what you want to see and the filmmaker knows. It's just, there's a real, a real natural energy to both those things. And I don't think you have to be a fan of the music either to appreciate that because they're constructed to make you have a good time. You know, like it's, it's, yeah. I was skeptical because I was like, mm, "How do you do it?" How, but mm. this, this was, yeah, this was more than more than adequate. Loved it. Yo, where my period at? Oh shit, there it go, right next to belly bloating and a spotty flow. Yo, where my damn house keys? Why my lower legs hurt? Sciatica lock legs like Attica word. Yo, why my ass always horny? Why always gotta pee? Why the young boy on the bus offer his seat to me? Why my skin so dry? Why my yawning right now? Why them AARP niggas sending shit to my house? Why my ass so impatient? But I like them young bucks. But 10 o'clock roll around and I'm too tired to fuck. Why my knees be writing checks that my back can't cash? Why I think I'm going fart, but my ass got other plans? Why most hip-hop got me feeling so much older, yo? When the fuck this loudest song going be over? Yeah, I tried to dance hard, but my knees straight caught me. Because, yo, this is 40, niggas. This is 40. Superb. Well, yeah, that was it. That was our roundup of what we wanted to talk about for... 2020 and and that was i enjoyed that was that was nice because you know it could have been really easy to be like oh my god this is a what a nightmare year it's been and like i say Mm. i think that maybe we'll talk about this when we go to our um members only part but you know the there was so much positive stuff i think in 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 a lot of the the film not just the films that that i've seen but also i think i the way in which the massive problems of cinemas closing down has allowed almost sort of different branches. And I've watched a lot more stuff, experimental stuff. Um, I'm going to do, in fact, one of the things that is one of my sort of New Year's resolutions, both podcasting and film, is to not settle back into an even more sort of embrace stuff that that not everybody is talking about. Because I think that that, that has been something that has happened and streaming things and 
that, that, that are not going to be advertised anywhere, but they've just popped up and think, oh, you know, I'll watch that because, you know, the, the, it's something to, interesting to have a conversation about and people are, are making mm. that because of the situation. Yeah, agreed. Um, there's always a there's always a choice to be made, isn't there? Um, but I think this year the choice was yeah. made for us in many ways. And I just feel freer talking about mm. the stuff. I don't feel like, I mean, we don't really pay too much attention to it, but it's always there, the the conversation and, you know, the the yeah, expectation yeah, yeah. to kind of cover the year in in in, in the films that, you know, that, that kind of fill the most space. But it's just we've not had that pressure and it and and yeah looking back these are the films i probably would have picked anyway but it feels like there's a chance that poor people already know about this stuff before it feels different it feels like we're not necessarily recommending or bringing to attention it's like you know mm. people will know of this stuff more and might have seen it might you know be, be on their list or whatever so it's it feels like a very different year and a good one a good one for the kind of movies we like great so we thank all of you for your continued support of the podcast. Um, we're looking forward to putting together you know, our new season for 2021. I think we'll probably have a sit down in the next few weeks and discuss what's coming out. But um, we've got some lots of ideas. And again, if anybody wants to get in contact with us and discuss anything that they think that we should be covering, then please do that. That would be great. Uh, looking forward to 2021. Neil, hopefully things will improve you know for everyone absolutely you know de-ream new labor <laughs> things going to get better <laughs> yeah nice nice segue there thank you um we really hope that all of you out there are safe and that um 2021 brings you know all of the success and the inspiration and the joy and you know even just a bit of recovery and a bit of space and a bit of relaxation if uh, if that's what you need, then please take the time to to do that. And uh, you know, whatever it takes to get through the day at the moment is is what people should should be doing. It's been a privilege to have this as an outlet, and I hope that it's provided some kind of interest and solace. Um, yeah. In what's been a very difficult year, um, it's felt it's, it's felt like a nice community around the podcast. Uh, so very grateful for that. Absolutely. Couldn't, uh, couldn't agree more. If anybody wants to uh, continue listening to this, we're actually going to continue on now for uh, 20 minutes or so, um, which will be available for the Patreon subscribers. So you just go to Patreon um, and search cin- Cinematologist and you can join up or go to the website. There are, there are links there. But for 2020, this has been the Cinematologist podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.